Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is May Book Club Day. We're welcoming back DJ and musician Novena Carmel, who's the co-host of one of my favorite radio shows, KCRW's flagship, Morning Becomes Eclectic. We're talking today about our May Book Club pick, Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop by Danielle Smith. We talk about the erasure of Black women, the people who suck the light out of the joy of Black women, and we talk about disco, my favorite. If you like what you hear today, be sure to go back to last week's episode with author Danielle Smith for even more juicy goodness on Shine Bright. Quick reminder, Everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love the show and want more of it, join The Stacks Pack. That's our exclusive community for all of you book lovers out there. We have an awesome Discord channel, monthly virtual book club conversations, bonus episodes, plus you get discounts on merch and a lot more. And I cannot overstate this enough. The Stacks is an entirely independent podcast. Everything I'm able to do with this show is because listeners like you support the show by joining the Stacks Pack. So if you like what you hear, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks to join. And I want to give a special thank you to our newest members, Tracy Richardson, Emily Williams, Lauren Woodard, Amy Herring, Michelle, and Andrea. Thank you all so much. And thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. You all are the best. Okay, now it's time for the Stacks May Book Club conversation on Shine Bright by Danielle Smith with the incredibly lovely Novena Carmel. All right, everybody, it's the Stacks Book Club Day, and I'm very excited to talk about Shine Bright by Danielle Smith. And back with us again is DJ, musician, all-around lovely human being, Novena Carmel. Novena, welcome back to the Stacks. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> I am really excited to talk about this book. I um I, I have so many thoughts. I I don't we'll, we'll get to it. But we always start in the same place for these episodes, which is like generally, what did you think of the book? Oh my god. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm like you. I'm like, where do I start? So first of all, it caught me by surprise a little bit. I thought it was gonna be more like a series of essays where she analyzes different stories or comparisons of black women in pop music or something like that, mm-hmm. which I was down for. Uh, but then I loved it even more when I saw how much of her own personal stories she intertwined with it. And 
Yeah, I loved it. What can I say? I mean, yeah, I love the book and I didn't want it to end. Okay, okay. (laughs) That's how I felt about it. That's a great starting place. So my general takeaway of the book was I really, really liked it as well. I Mm -hmm. was really taken by how many or how much of the stories I didn't know of women Mm -hmm. that I thought that I knew, right? Right. Like the Janet Jackson chapter particularly comes to mind of like, wait, what was going on with Janet? Like, wait, what? And so I yeah. I love that like hidden history or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I loved how much she was in it. And I love her writing style. Like there was so much that was like just like so juicy and <gasps> lovely to read. Oh, My- it was such it was like a masterclass on writing to an extent right? too. Like phrasing things in wholly unique ways. I mean, there was one I mean, I, I don't know if I should give away lines in the book. This is no, no, yeah, we can, we can spoil but, this if there's but there's not much to spoil, but we can say yeah. whatever we want. It was like something she said, like the halitosis of swallowing your own humanity, like, mm. oh, or yeah. like the room smelled like butter and, you know, conversation yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know? she had so many good descriptions. I always mm-hmm. am impressed when people write about music because I'm like, you're using a totally different set of senses to write. Like it's like eyes and it's like you're touching and you're writing, but you're explaining something that we hear. And like, Mm. it's, I'm always interested in how the best music writers explain like the sound of someone's voice or like the sound of the music or the percussion or whatever, especially because a lot of the times in this book, it's songs that we know. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you're talking about, I want to dance with somebody or whatever. And like Mm -hmm. how you explain it has to really resonate with the reader because we all know that song. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like you're introducing us to, you know, let's hear it for the boy or whatever. Like, right. And so I'm always really impressed because when, when authors can do that well, because I think it's hard. It's like explaining what food tastes like. It's like, it's sweet. (laughs) And yeah, even when she's not introducing a new concept, she's constantly introducing a new way to look at it, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. makes it feel new again. Mm -hmm. My only thing about this book that I didn't just like totally head over heels love Mm -hmm. was that I wanted it to go closer to contemporary pop music. Like Mm. I wanted it. I like it sort of ends with, I think, Janet or Mariah. Mariah. And I was like, I would love to hear her thought process around someone like a Cardi B. Totally. Because I think that like that, I mean, I think it's sort of a different conversation. Like, because it's it's getting to like the current so it's not so much like the history of black women in pop but I'm even a Beyonce even a Rihanna like I just would have loved her take on what's happening now totally and it kind of ended at a point where black women were still ruling the pop industry Mm -hmm. which has changed a bit so I was interested to see her take on the comparison to now and naming who those sorry yeah naming who those black women are now and then like who the women is are that are sort of the current thieves? Who do you of think black culture is ruling the pop charts now? Um, or ruling pop now? I shouldn't say the charts, but just generally. Pop. I don't. I mean, I don't really listen to a lot of pop music like that. My brain goes to like Ariana Grande. I feel like mm. there's a ton of female pop stars now that have names that sound like they could be Latina, but they're actually not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Ariana like a, Grande. Or like example. a Dua Lipa, if you will. Yeah. I mean, she's... Um, she's Israeli or something? Something. It's not... I think she's like Lebanese or Lebanese, something like Lebanese. that. Lebanese, yeah. Lebanese. Yeah, yeah, But um, it, it's like they're like... Yeah. They're trying to like make it appeal to more people by seeming like... They're not just straight up white. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know you know, what the reason is behind things. It, it was interesting to um, reading the book because it's like... 
from Danielle's perspective, there was so much destructive intentionality behind why things went down the way they did. And in my brain, it's almost like I I don't want to go there. So I'll be like, well, no, it can't just that's can't just be that. Like they're just just because she's black. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she made such a case for it in so many circumstances that it kind of made me again. Yeah. Start looking at the current day, but we didn't get to go there with her. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's funny that you were like, I don't know what the intentionality is behind like an Ariana Grande, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, didn't you read the book? Novena, she told well, us. I, <laughs> she told well, us why. Well, why would you say why? I would say, I think, I think like almost exactly the opposite of Marilyn McCoo, right? It's mm. like if you present and sound like you're black, then we can we can market you as such and we can, but without having to make you quote unquote unpalatable by being black, mm-hmm. you know, like no one says Ariana Grande is like high maintenance or a diva or whatever, but like, she sounds just like Mariah Carey, you know? And she it's sure like, does. so what's the difference? Do we really think that Mariah Carey is some sort of a monster and Ariana Grande is just this lovely young woman? Like, no, right. there's yeah. clearly like an, a palatability, if you will, of what, Ariana Grande looks like and who she is but they also know that black music sells I mean she talks about it from jump like she talks about how the majority of male star musicians are tenors and that's because there's like something about trying to sound like really interesting wasn't that so incredible I never noticed that I never noticed that I was literally like yo yeah but like it's I mean she makes the point basically from like I mean she does from page one that like it's all this it's all this hard work that everyone else is doing to erase black women from this place where they belong and are the best and thrive mm-hmm. and are the heartbeat of this thing. And like, yeah, I mean, I think I think an Ariana Grande is a good example because she sounds so much like Mariah. Right. Like it's wild. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. think that it's like an easy comparison. I also think that like Ariana Grande has had some really unfortunate things happen in her life that make her like easier to root for you know Mm. like in her like her relationship with Mac Miller obviously that's a very tragic story you know with his death and like the fact that she was on stage at that like huge shooting in in Manchester I think it was like there's like these little parts of her story that make it easier but but do you feel like people more easily root for her because she's not black of course a thousand percent yeah I think her whole thing is that she's black but not black you know like she's doing everything the black women are doing but guess what she's not black so you can like and her. And then they, then they threw in like an ambiguous last name. Like maybe she's Latina. Yeah. I do think that's her actual <laughs> last name because I know her right, brother. But, it, but I think it's like <laughs> Italian or something. Yeah. Like that. It's Italian. You know what I, I mean? Yeah, yeah. 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 His name's like mm-hmm. Frankie Grande. Um, yeah, there you go. But I just can't have finished reading Danielle's book and be like, it's something else. Like it just feels. And I feel I mean, I'm with you. I do that all the time. I'm like, and I, especially when I was younger, I used to be like, it's not racism. Like it's yeah. this other it's. It's society, it's class. And like, sure, it can be all of those things, but like it can't be all of those things and not also be racism. Yeah, totally. And something about her, her freaking memory for things. Oh, my God. Because I think that's what um, makes even more of a case for what she's proving is her ability to remember how it all went down. Yeah, because she was there. She was there and she has the receipts in her brain like. I can't even remember stuff from last week, you know? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like the song that went with the thing where she was with the friend. And I'm just like, wow, you really, she was set up to be a writer. Yeah. I mean, she was collecting all of these memories from the time she was young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, 
aside from what the book is and how great the book is, I think that Danielle Smith is just like an icon. Like I, I just yeah, think she's true. like so important to the culture and like her writing is so incredible. But like the fact that she was there, like, I mean, she doesn't talk. I wish she also talked more about hip hop because I know she's like was so has been so important to hip hop, like becoming accepted by you know, the institutions or whatever you want to call them. Like she was, she, I listened to her podcast, Black Girl Songbook. And on the episode, I think it's about Lauren Hill. She talks about the Grammys and like, she talks about be, going somewhere and like Biggie and Pac were there. And she like said hi to them as she was leaving or going in or like, she just is like a, a the Forrest Gump of, mm -hmm. you know, black music since yeah. a certain time like she's just everywhere she knows everyone mm -hmm. like being in the room with the Whitney and Bobby story like it's just wow, so yeah. like she's so important she's like one of the most important people we don't think about in pop music like because she's not the musician she's not the producer she's not yeah. the drummer she's not the manager but like she is how and other music journalists are how we think about and see black music or music mm -hmm. period I yeah just, yeah. And while she's telling the story of all these women, she's telling her own story at the same time. And the whole point is to be like, you need to know who these people are. And she's kind of saying why we need to know who she is, too. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? we and do. I, yeah. And we, well, I, I mean, I, and I, I never knew who Danielle was. Okay. Personally. I, yeah. I only knew about her because I knew about her podcast. And so I'd like, mm -hmm. and I'd heard her on some other shows talking about other things like in the last few years. And so I'd sort of started paying attention to her, mm. but I'd never heard of her. But then when you like go back and dig through her archive and like you look at her stories and you listen to her talk about her life, you realize she really was just everywhere. Like always, yeah. every room, every party. She knew everyone. She knows everyone. Like in music, I just think she's like one of those people. Yeah, definitely. And at the end, I mean, I know you were saying you wish you talked about hip hop and stuff more. I feel like she wishes she could talk about everything more. You know, she I mean, like, she says that. Yeah, she's like, I didn't mention this and I didn't mention that. And I didn't like it was like yeah. a flex kind of. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, you could write books on books on books. I and know. you have to start. She's like, and I don't want to end now, but I have to end now. But also this, but I'm going to end now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. You're right. It's such a flex of like, don't worry. <laughs> the time that I had champagne with Mariah Carey, like in Sonoma and like, don't worry. These other things like I'm just waiting for her tell all book where she names the names that she didn't name Ooh, in this book. Cause there's a few sections right? where I was like, I'd love a name here. I know yes. you remember it. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. And I wish she could do the same book just for black women in hip hop. Like I like mm, Missy, Mary J, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj, Lil Kim. Like I just love, cause you know, they have some probably fucking insane stories. Oh my God, 100%. Yeah, Mary J, she mentioned her a little bit in the end, I think. Yeah, yeah. and she, when I, she was on the sex last week and she mentioned that was one of the people that if she could do more, she would have mm -hmm. put more Mary in. But yeah, sorry, you were going to ask me something. What did I think? Oh, okay. So I was wondering while I was reading it, I was like, this is very close to home, literally. First of all, she's talking about living in Los Angeles on streets that are like two blocks from where I currently live, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is just so funny. And then obviously the Bay Area and we both are from the Bay. And where are you from in originally in the Bay? San Francisco. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I'm from Oakland. So I was like, yeah, yeah hi. <laughs> that was okay. Oh, also, can I just mention like a few other weird serendipitous things yes. for me reading yes. this book? Yes. Okay. So a few months ago, I came across this article about the oldest um, park ranger 
that was retiring at 100 years old or something like that. And I, she just stuck out, st- stood out to me. She was a black woman and beautiful in her Park Ranger outfit in the article that I saw in like NPR or something. So I looked her up and I grabbed photos of her and I posted her on Twitter. And I also found out that she founded a record uh, store in Berkeley called Reed's Records. Oh. And... Danielle is related to her. She mentions it in the beginning of the book. And I was like, oh, my God. I was just, like, obsessed with her. And then another day, I had the book on my table, and I was playing Wordle. And I was like, okay, what's my first guest going to be on Wordle today? (gasps) And I looked around, and I saw the book on my table, and I said, shine. And that was the one and only time that I got the Wordle on the first try. Wow. (laughs) I love this. Oh, my God. This book is for me. (laughs) I love this so much. Isn't that funny, though? That's why. (laughs) That's why. My one and only Wordle first try correct answer was moist. And I'm embarrassed to say it. Oh, moist was actually a first try win at some point? Yeah. Oh, dang. Okay. I know. It's my only one. Um, Yeah. No, there's so... I mean... This book definitely felt close to home for me, for sure. Like Oakland, L.A. She talks about like being in The Music Man. And that was like the first professional show I ever did, like as a child in Oakland, like just like little tiny things. And just there's like so there's so I think I said this in the conversation with her. If I didn't say it on air, I said it to her afterwards. But like one of the things that I think really encouraged me about Danielle's story was that like what she's been doing for black women in music is like what I've been trying to do for books and like seeing her career up to this point, obviously she's still working and still writing and like has a long career ahead of her, but like seeing all that she's done and everywhere that she's been and how much she's meant to music, Mm -hmm. like that was really sort of encouraging for me personally in a way that I wasn't expecting because you know you're a creative like sometimes when you're a creative person and you work for yourself and you hustle all the time like you feel like quitting or like you feel like what you're doing isn't having an impact or like you feel like you're not doing enough and I feel that way always because not only am I a person who talks bad about themselves to themselves which I know I should stop doing but I'm also so competitive and like I'm also so such a perfectionist that like I never feel like what I'm doing is enough but Mm. reading Danielle and reading how much of an impact her story had on me I was like okay maybe I am doing even a fraction of what she's done and like maybe it is meaningful and like maybe if I'm doing it now in real time these authors in the future won't have to have a book written by the future Danielle to be like, Mm. these people existed. So I don't know. So Mm -hmm. that was like really meaningful to me about this book for sure. Totally. I felt the same way. There was something that she said, like I kind of wrote it down at the end. Um, She said, if, if as a black woman, if you're not going to encourage my creativity, if I'm not going to feel reciprocity, if you are not going to help me on my journey to becoming well known for my talent and hard work, well then I will make my own way. Mm. And that I was thinking about you and I was thinking about me and like how I was like, yeah, I feel like I do that. Like, are you going to help me? And not like in a selfish way, but like, okay, just kind of having to gravitate towards the folks that are helping you. And if they're not, just keep it moving and um, staying focused on your what motivates you and your purpose. Yeah. 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 And I feel like it's hard to like the little reminders, like that sentence that you just read and like the book in general and like just even seeing someone like Danielle in the world, like that's really encouraging for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause like when you're, when you are making your own way, when someone isn't helping you or encouraging you or nurturing you, and then you have to go do it yourself. That's like 
painful work sometimes. Mm. Like, cause you mm-hmm. have to motivate yourself and you have to do the encouraging and the nurturing and the, all of that. You have to be your own reciprocating being, you know, and like it's exhausting and it is humbling and it also like feels shitty sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it feels fucking great. You're like, fuck you. You didn't want to help me. And I did it anyways. <laughs> like, suck it. But like until you get to that like victorious moment, it can feel really hard. So like r- reading her experience like was just it was that like reciprocity. It was that encouragement that I feel like I often like need. And so mm-hmm. I think I'll forever like be grateful to her for her work. Was there things that you related to like just in different worlds that you've been in um, doing work and it gets less credit because you're a black woman? Yes. my This entire podcast is basically that's the mm-hmm. thesis statement of like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't I don't tell a lot of the stories on the show because I don't I still work with a lot of people that are, are horrible to me. <laughs> Tracy's <laughs> Hope you're listening. Thanks for listening to the show. But like I can count so many times like so the way that it works in the book world is like if I want to have someone on the show, I have to reach out to their publicist and every publisher has a publicist for like the big five publisher, the big four publisher. And so a lot of the times I have to reach out to someone and be like, hey, I'd love to have Novena on the show. And like sometimes your publicist is lovely and it's like great, fantastic. Sometimes your publicist is awful and like says no. And sometimes mm-hmm. your publicist basically just ignores for like five emails and then is like, oh, yeah, sure. So like that happens <laughs> to me a lot where I end up having to like slide into people's DMs mm-hmm. and be like, hey, would you come on the show? I'm sorry that no one thinks I'm important enough to actually do their job around me. You know, it's like that happens Mm -hmm. to me a lot, Um, which at this point now, I just I'm like, fuck it. Like, I'm used to it. But it is bullshit because I know that they don't do that to a lot of the white women who have podcasts about book and a lot of the white women in the book space. And Mm -hmm. and the thing that, you know, I think for me that is really upsetting and I think this is similar to Danielle is that like I'm not trying to write about Steve I'm not trying to talk about Stephen King's books I'm not trying to have Jody Picot on the podcast like I'm not <laughs> trying to have these like huge white famous authors like I'm trying to have black women on the show mm-hmm. I'm trying to have queer folks on the show I'm trying to, I'm already my audience or the people that I'm interested in are already the people who have lower marketing budgets. They're already the people you think aren't going to quote unquote cross over or aren't worthy of this and that. And so to be shit on like doubly Mm, is like, I'm coming to you asking to do this free publicity, right? For your author, (laughs) whose job it is for you to get publicity for. And you're basically like ignoring me or telling me they're not interested when I just know that you didn't ask them. I just know Mm -hmm. you didn't, you know? And so like that, all of that's like really hard and that's discouraging. And that's the sort of stuff where I'm just like, Sometimes I just want to quit. Like, I don't want to work so hard to do my job when my job is already, it's already hard to read a book and come up with questions. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm already doing a job. And then it's like, you have to, you make me feel like shit every time I'm like, hey, can I please speak to Danielle Smith? No, her team was lovely. But like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And even the way you approach it, I mean, I I could relate to the elements of like, if someone is treating you shitty and and you don't want to like clap back too hard and then seem like a quote unquote diva with how you're handling it. Whereas if it was like a white guy and he he came, you know, he responded in the same way, it wouldn't be considered that. Right. So it's like, it's not only getting the borderline disrespect, then how you respond to it is something that has to be considered as well. Right. Because it's also, you know, like music, it's an overwhelmingly white space, like the publishing industry. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. 
they don't have interactions with black women every day, which is unbelievable to me as an industry that's based in New York City. But like, whatever, go keep keep doing your great job publishing. But like, so it's like, yeah, I don't want to be a diva. I don't want to be part of the reason difficult. they don't is because they don't welcome it. Exactly. Well, right. Exactly. I mean, they don't because it's on purpose. It's not an accident. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, so it, it's all like I definitely could relate to a lot of these stories. And and I think it's probably even you know, I, again, I really relate to Danielle's part of it because she's sort of doing similar work. But like right. when I think about the authors that I've worked with who have these same stories that sound more like the stories of the of these women musicians, like where their work isn't being valued. And then all of a sudden they end up on the National Book Award list or like they're a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. And you're like, mm-hmm. And you're telling me you I couldn't book you on my show, even though you did no publicity like your t- like your team didn't value you from the beginning and your work was greater than whatever they thought you were or whoever, whatever they could see in your work. And like that reading about, you know, people like Whitney Houston, who's like, you know, like <sighs> it's just it's devastating to think that someone like Whitney Houston had to fight so hard when the talent was there and the skill Ugh. was there and the discipline yeah. was there. And like, not that this should matter, but it does because it's pop and it's Hollywood and whatever. But like the beauty was there. The body mm-hmm. was there. Like sh- the youth was there. Like she was every everybody's dream she of a act. pop star, mm-hmm. except she was black. And so then it becomes infinitely harder. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if Whitney Houston is if Madonna could do what Whitney Houston could do, Imagine. Mm. <laughs> well, a good example uh, was when they mentioned Adele in one right. Grammys. You know, uh, one year of Grammys was was nominated for more Grammys than what Whitney was nominated for in her entire career. <laughs> it's just like when you say it out loud, when you read it off the page, like <laughs> it hurt. It like hurts. It like it makes hurts. me like so mad. Because mm-hmm. also, like, I'm sure, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I'm assuming we're around the same age. Like, Whitney, Mariah, Janet, like, those women were the music of our childhood. Mm-hmm. Like, those were the women. I, I just, can't, I know that there are people who didn't listen to pop music. I know there are people who didn't listen to black music at all or black artists at all. But, like, for me, the idea that Whitney Houston is not considered number one in everything ever in the history of the world is just like it's just it's crazy to me Mm -hmm. like i i uh, yeah it's so frustrating i like can't even think like my brain i literally (laughs) i just had like where do i go from here because it's like devastating um okay wait did you have any did you have a favorite chapter or favorite artist that she sort of centered in a chapter? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the Whitney chapter really stood out to me, but it, mm-hmm. it's like, it's hard to even say it was the favorite. It was just the most memorable, not for great reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not because of how she wrote it, but, you know, just because how difficult it was. Same. Whit- the Whitney yeah. Aretha section, part two, was mm-hmm. just like so so good so much i mean i think janet was a close story too yeah yeah a lot of juicy details that um i wasn't aware of yeah because you don't think of her like that i mean actually i was like part of me was thankful because she was saying you know she was getting certain labels at one time but i think in retrospect we see aretha as being something greater than even like 
human. She's like Aretha. Right. And I think you some know, of that, yeah, I think some of that's because she lived a long time. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, like I think yeah. that white people value black women elders in Hollywood and in music in a way that they do not when they're in their prime because mm-hmm. of like racism and things. And I think because Aretha sort of lived long enough to sing at Obama's inauguration, like lived long enough to give us some like hilarious memes about gowns. Like I think, (laughs) I think that she has been restored some of her flowers because she lived into her eighties. Right. Whereas if she had died in her fifties or sixties, I think she maybe would have been forgotten or not, or not, not forgotten. I don't think you can forget Aretha Franklin. Right. But like, I think she might have been reduced down to just being like the woman who sings respect, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Definitely. Um, also, Ella Fitzgerald, a moment that really stood out to me was where, I think it was Ella and she was like mentioning this love that she couldn't have. And it was mm. just like brushed over. And I never <laughs> thought of thought of her I don't know it's just uh interesting at that time thinking of how she was trying to share something that showed more of a spectrum to who she was as a person and it was just sort of shunned Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you remember that part I don't yeah it was there was like an interview I think it was it was Ella um that she was having with somebody and he was like hey Ella how you been doing or whatever and then she was like my memory's not that great, but it was, she was just like, well, I, I, something happened to me and it was regarding someone that she loved or something mm. like a man. And he kind of like kept it going or whatever. Like, oh, well, I do well, remember well. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, oh yeah, yeah, I do. I do remember that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's the other thing that Daniel does so good in this book is like, give these women their humanity. Like, yes, mm-hmm. they're su- superstars. Yes, they're the voice of an entire like country, essentially the music of a country, but they're also people. And like, I mean, I think she does that really well in the Whitney and Aretha section, but she does it for all of them, like for Diana Ross, where she talks about how Diana wasn't even her name, wasn't supposed to be her name. And so her wanting to be called Miss Ross, is that so wrong? Oh my God. Yes. All of that is so good in the book. It's so good. The context. Yes. She does. I noticed, I started noticing that in the Whitney, I think it was the Whitney and Aretha chapter, but when she was talking about Ed Levert, Mm. And she does this really cool thing where it's kind of like <laughs> I was picturing, um, you know, in those detective shows where they have like a whiteboard on the wall and they're oh, trying yeah. to figure out like who they done put it the or whatever. Up and they're like, they're, lives in this neighborhood, like seventy five. Yeah, and then they Bob, put the yeah. strings connecting yeah, 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 yeah. them, and it was like that. It was like one moment we're talking about Whitney, and then it's like Bobby, and then it's like Ed Levert, and then she goes, Ed Levert was born in I don't remember. I think it was like Mississippi or Alabama or something like that of a home and where this was happening at the time. And immediately you get all this context to mm-hmm. understand why in that moment he's, he's holding himself the way that he is mm-hmm. and how that's specific to his upbringing. Yeah. And it even made me think about seeing, I mean, I, I suppose I already do this to a certain extent, but being around anybody, we can easily just judge like why they're behaving the way they are in those circumstances. But when you start understanding the context of why they're approaching the situation the way they are. It's really interesting to take a moment and think everybody has that story that got them to where they are in that moment. Even when we're all in suits, like having, you know, 
champagne and um and unseasoned right <laughs> she says <laughs> or d'oeuvres <laughs> yeah no i mean you're right she does such a good job of like again the context the humanity like placing pe- placing us in the world of the moment and like making mm-hmm. it make sense because some stuff doesn't make sense now because we do things different now mm-hmm. even than like 1995 you know like some of it like I know this wasn't really in the book, but like asking Whitney Houston if she does crack like in an interview, that's just not happening in 2022, like in that way. Mm -hmm. Like the disrespect of that. Like I know people really revisited that with the with the Britney Spears stuff recently of like how like Diane Sawyer talked to Britney Spears and like the slut shaming and all that. Like I, I don't. I think some of the things that they endured like just aren't happening now. Not that other horrible things aren't happening now that in 20 Mm -hmm. years we'll think are different, but like Danielle does a good job of reminding us where we are and what is happening in the moment and who the people are at the time of these incidents. Cause it's easy to think like, it's easy to think of Mariah Carey now, but -hmm. it's harder to remember Mariah Carey in 1992 or whatever, you know, it's harder to remember Mariah Carey you know, with the blowout and the flannel shirt, you know, like that's a, we don't, I don't think of Mariah like that. Now I think of Mariah in like sequin gowns, like saying, I don't know her and Mm -hmm. like singing Christmas songs once a year. Like, you know, you know what I was, this is uh, related, but unrelated. (laughs) There was a couple of moments in the book where she brought up people that were like at the beginning of their careers, like Rihanna and Beyonce. And, and there was like, whether it was her or Clive Davis that like, they knew immediately that person was a star. They just had it in them, mm-hmm. which I will give that to them because they are stars. But that's like easy to say in retrospect. Yeah. Like how many people were they saying that about that didn't, that you know, that it. had like one song and then, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just just funny to think about that. Like, yeah, I think okay, about that all the that time. Now. Yeah. When people are like, oh, they're a star. Like, OK, I knew it. <laughs> who else were you? Were you saying tweet was a star also? <laughs> yeah. No, no shots at tweet. Yeah. <laughs> I love Oops Oh My. OK, big fan. But like. I feel like, you know, Ashanti would have been a person like and I guess she was a star for a while, but like she has a she has a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She does. You yeah. buy, don't you buy those? <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably they are. Bought. I think you have to but be like nominated. Think, like, I could buy one. Yeah, I think you have to be like nominated, <laughs> but then you have to pay like forty thousand dollars. Yeah, you which know it. I yeah. would gladly pay if I was nominated like to be like because then if someone on a podcast was like a Sean it was like Tracy like well she has a star like yeah that's fuck the you. whole point right yeah yeah bitch I'm on a star that's um, actually probably a discount I mean thinking about like people buy monuments and buildings and stuff a yeah star 40k that's discount. no big deal yeah especially if, <laughs> if you're star worthy and you have the funds like you know honestly 40k is like I, I'm finding this out the most horrible way is like how much children's private school costs in LA yeah so for one year of for one year for one year of second grade, yes, I will take a star <laughs> on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Thank you very much. I'll I'll take out a student loan if I need to. Okay, right, Joe, forgive the student loans. Um, okay, we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. 
The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back. I want to talk about something that comes up in the book a lot, a lot. Okay. I want to talk about the abuse and the violence against black women. It's constant in this book. These women's stories are filled with men who abuse them physically, mentally, emotionally, take their money, like make them small. She talks about it. When she asks Whitney Houston about Bobby and Whitney says to her, you should ask Lena Horne about this. Mm. And Lena Horne is like, there are men. I'm not quoting this exactly, but she says something along the lines of like, there are men who love to see women in the light and all they want to do is like dim that light or Mm -hmm. something along those lines. And holy shit, if that's not, in Aretha's story, Whitney's story, Janet's story. Mm-hmm. Danielle's story. Dan- I mean, obviously Danielle's mm-hmm. story. <sighs> that also fucking sucks and makes me sad and hurts in a different way than what we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier. But like, I don't know. And why is it like that? And are we better now? No. Do you think we're better Damn. now? I don't think so. I mean, no, I just, mean, like, look at fucking Rihanna. Didn't no. her and ASAP just break up because he was cheating on her while she was pregnant or some shit? Oh, I don't know. I, that might be but a I rumor. Mean, there, was the, there was the Chris Brown thing. Obviously the Chris Brown yeah. stuff. I mean, even Beyonce was publicly cheated on and wrote a whole album about it. Like, I don't... 
I don't know that Jay-Z is the same as Bobby Brown, certainly. Like, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that, like, these public humiliations and, like, these men who take for granted these women. But you know what I have to add, though, is what part of it is that we know, as far as, like, celebrities go, we know the stories more about Black couples because that's the whole point of media is for us to look at them more poorly. Mm. Like... What white couples, you know what I mean? Are we not hearing about where the, where the woman is being abused? That's true. Because also, like, As I think about when, system. like, when it is a white woman, often it's a black man. Like, I think about Kanye West, obviously, like, mm. with Kim Kardashian, you know. But you're right. It's not, it's not as prevalent to talk about white women. My brain always goes there. It's such a, like, uh... It's like a double-edged sword or catch-22, one of those things. Because <laughs> it's like when there's something that I'm aware of like that, like what you just mentioned, but then I go, well, how much of what I think I know is purposely being told to me that way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to media. Media is very, it's a filtered out source of information. And there's certain folks with certain interests that control it. Mm-hmm. And it's much like a record label in a sense, you know, where it's like owned by a handful of rich, old white folks half the time, you know. Right. Um, and they own like, they, it's not like they just own like one thing. It's like they own CBS mm-hmm. Viacom, which, yeah, yeah. which means like they also own like Simon and Schuster thing. and like they all, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like Janet, like Les Moonves, mm-hmm. like it's, there's an interest in seeing your, an artist that you have, you know some sort of relationship to financially because of the business, there's an interest in seeing their story be told a certain way. Totally. And there's an interest in seeing black men as violent. Right. And like shady or whatever, you know? And so like on the other side, when it's the black man who, you know, did the thing. Right. So, but I feel like it's true all around. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think it's true that black women are not valued in this country, but then it's almost like, I don't want to internalize that message too much because Sometimes, I don't know, it's like when you state something over and over, it's powerful as well, you know? Right. But I think what I think what is interesting about this book is like, sure, we all know Bobby and Whitney, right? Like we right. all knew that was happening. But like, I did not know about the Aretha stuff. I did not know about the Gladys Knight stuff. And so it's sort mm-hmm. of the, not, it's sort of the opposite of your point, which is like a lot of these women were carrying this burden these pains, this trauma as they were putting on their makeup and their wigs and their gowns and getting ready, you know, taking the beat before the curtain opens. And like, here it is. Stop in the name of love. I'm Diana Ross. I'm, you know, I'm your dream girl. And Mm -hmm. you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And like, it only comes out later, not in Whitney's case, but in a lot of these cases, like the media didn't even care to sensationalize (laughs) These women, like they weren't even worthy Mm. of the drama in some of these cases. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, good point. Hmm. And I think some of it's probably like the time, like the mm -hmm. media is different. And maybe, you know, these women were doing things to protect these men because they didn't want it to be front and center. You know, like I'm sure there's a lot of context that I don't know. But I do Mm -hmm. think it's interesting that like I had never like the way she talks about leaving on a midnight train to Georgia. She talks Mm. about like Gladys Knight's story. Like I'd never thought, I'd never even heard the song in the way that she presents it, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, 
Yeah. And it, it it ties together so well with the concept of a woman being a diva and like why anybody would have to seem that way based on just having to simply survive the circumstances that they're in. Like you said, back then, um, having to get on stage coming from all of that, mm-hmm. it's like just to be able to perform, you have to demand some things. And I think it's still that way for um, celebrities. There's so much demand on them, um, especially women, where people try to take ownership of you in different ways. And really it's just like creating boundaries so that you can actually survive in the world. And like do the work that you have to do to like do the the work that you have to do. Do the work. Yes. It's like we all need you know some people need an office and a computer and it's like if you're about to get on stage you need to have the setting right to do the work that you're gonna do right right I mean you you're a performer too like do you have like specific things that you do or like something a way that you focus your mind like before you step out on the stage or to go onto the microphone or whatever performance you're doing well part honestly Tracy part of the reason that I shied away from continuing to perform on stage is there's so many factors that can like fuck up how you feel once you're on stage Mm. like little things that that to me was just so draining to try to control all of that to make sure that I was feeling my best once I got on stage Mm. whether that's something personal like what am I eating today like is it going to be dehydrating is you know have I talked too much today so that my voice is hoarse And then, you know, someone may be trying to talk to you backstage and they think, oh, it's just me. But that's another person and they're bringing Mm -hmm. their own energy. Even little things like just, you know, how comfortable you feel in a situation. I feel the most comfortable getting ready at home with all of my things, knowing where this is and that. But when you're on tour, you have no home. Your Mm -hmm. home is like a traveling tour bus. And every time you pull up somewhere new, all your shit is put away and pulled back out again. And it might be different humidity in the air, elevation, you know Mm -hmm, what I mean? Like mm -hmm. all of that. And again, it's like, then there's the pressure of doing a good performance because you've signed up to do this thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lot. So yeah, I don't even know what your question was, but I get it. I think you answered it. (laughs) Well, I think that also speaks to like this idea of like being high maintenance or being a diva is like, I mean, I can speak for myself again, but you've sort of touched on a lot of the things. It's like when you're performing and and for people listening, I consider doing the show a performance, though I have mm-hmm. performance experience in a lot of like live things previously. Like when you're performing live performance, especially there's only so much you can control. Yeah, there's only so much you can rehearse. There's only so much you can be prepared for and also being prepared to be unprepared as part of it. But yep. like if someone touches your shoe for your quick change, that destroys your whole show. Mm-hmm. Like then you're 30 seconds late for your quick change and you only had 30 seconds in the first place. Right. Right. And like, so I understand how a person who is at the top of their game, who is Diana yes. Ross, who is Beyonce, that part, who yeah. has, stadiums full of people who are counting on them to be perfect because their brand is perfection because black women cannot be less than perfect. Okay. If you're, if you're to pay for their services, 
I can understand how if Diana Ross's zipper is broken or something or her wig is misplaced or someone calls her the wrong thing, I can Mm -hmm. understand how she would be quote unquote considered a diva because you know what? I've planned every single thing down to the fucking last drop and you other person who is here who I'm giving a paycheck to, you fucked up the shoe. All you Mm -hmm. had to do was make sure the shoe was in the spot and you (laughs) fucked it up. And like, Mm -hmm. I think that people don't understand how taxing live performance is because of all these little things, right? Because like maybe you're in Colorado and you are at the Mile High Stadium. And so it's less elevation. The air is thinner or higher elevation. The air is thinner. You're more exhausted when you're dancing because you just came from Arizona and you weren't Mm -hmm. at elevation and you were there last night. And like all of these little tiny things become things that you need to think about and plan for as you're on your tour, whatever it is. And like, I just think that people don't understand what goes into being perfect. And I think that people don't appreciate that black women often don't have the opportunity to be anything less than that. Totally. And all of those examples you just said are like extreme as a performer at the top of your game, right? Right. It's making like lots and lots of money. But that happens in micro ways too, just like a normal workplace environment where you have to work harder to prove that your opinion on something is valid. Or if you do mess up, there's a larger weight for, oh, like, or even just as a woman, you know, oh, it's because she just had a baby. So she doesn't have like the energy, like all those things that people can fall back on. Um, to try to take away from what you do. So then it's like, okay, I'm <laughs> trying to like function in this environment. Right, right, right. No, it's it's like the pressure to be better than expectation, mm-hmm. you know, is like, it's debilitating, I think. And I think, you know, for all, all of us who've experienced that, but especially for people who experience that in the public eye on the level of yeah. a Whitney Houston. Yeah. Because here's the thing. And I don't, I don't know if other people know this, but I, I know this to be true. To be a great at something for a long time, you have to be a perfectionist. You mm. have to be obsessed with your craft and your skill yeah. and your, if it's a physical thing like singing, with your body right? Like you don't just accidentally become a Beyonce. Like you don't just accidentally become a Michael Jackson. Mm -mm. Like that, the level of work and focus and discipline to get there, to stay there, to be there always in the conversation. Like, you know, it's like Michael Jordan. People understand that a Michael Jordan worked really hard to be good at basketball, right? Like you understand mm-hmm. that he takes a million trillion shots. Well, Beyonce does the same thing with her choreography. And I think she's more public about it than other superstars have been. Right. But like, I understand why people who are considered divas are the way that they are. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. you can't do it otherwise. You can't be the top and be sloppy especially if you're black, especially if you're a woman, you know, like it's just not possible. And the fact that like, that's what's held against these women, like a Diana Ross or a Mariah Carey, like the the thing that people don't like about her is that she's has boundaries and like is mean maybe to someone (laughs) like allegedly, according to a person whose feelings got hurt, like, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't and I I personally have like 
famously in my family and <laughs> my life, like very high standards. Like I'm a super perfectionist and like I get annoyed when things aren't how I like <laughs> them. And I can only imagine if I was in charge of a hundred million dollar world tour, how I would feel mm-hmm. about things. Like I'm just like that with like how yeah. I like my groceries put away. Yeah. So like I just if I ever became an important famous person, a thousand percent I would be called a diva every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, and like that's just outside judgment and like people who are mediocre. <laughs> like, and I think it's really important if people truly understood all of this a lot deeper, because I think that we are constantly mistreating the people that bring us so much joy mm-hmm. because they get these labels based on something that we see the end result mm-hmm. of all of these things that they've gone through. And then it becomes this like joke about them mm-hmm. as though they're just a product or something like on a television show that we can consume and throw away. And that really pisses me off. Yeah, And I think I personally have more investment in that because I have relatives that are musicians and celebrities and well-known. Right. And I see different jokes, you know, about my dad, not a black woman, but a musician um, and a black man, a black man who, you know, there could be a whole book written about that, I'm sure, as well. Mm-hmm. And they just it reduces all of their hard work and all of the joy they brought you to the equivalent of a meme. So, like, I think of Lauren Hill, for example, mm-hmm. and like she was late to some shows. And then now every time she's announcing that she's going to have you know, a show or be on tour. I hope she's there if she shows up at all. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, don't talk about Miss Lauren Hill like that. And like, and I've also heard, you know, negative things. I'm not even going to say them, which may be true, but it still doesn't like give the society as a whole to like throw her away and be so disrespectful and at least understand the context. Yeah. Like, do you know why she was late? Do you really know? Right. Do you know that maybe, you know, it's a promoter that's not that promised to pay a certain amount and they haven't filled their end of this contract? Right. And they're like, well, you should just perform anyways. And they know the pressure that she's under because she wasn't on time last time. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. I think the thing about celebrity is that people, I feel like people who aren't celebrities, the normals like me, <laughs> there's an expectation that you are to be entertained. Mm-hmm. And that you, the per- the consumer, should be happy and pleased at all times by all things that your celebrity of choice is doing or has done. And I think that, again, what Danielle's done so well in this book is she's made these people human and she's given their mm-hmm. lives context and she's made it make sense in a way that no one or not no yeah. one, but that people haven't cared to do in the past, especially yep. for these women. But I think like. With social media now, there's an access to celebrities that makes them feel even less like elevated and like they're even more accessible in this way that you feel owed something by them or like owed their attention or their time. And that compounds with people who are like lower, not to like make this a hierarchy, but like lower level celebrities who are on social media, who you can get in touch with and you can DM and they will reply. And then it's like, oh, so-and-so is a bitch because she doesn't respond to DMs or like Mm -hmm. she doesn't have, you know, I couldn't tweeted her. She blocked her. She you know, silenced her chat or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, fuck you. You're not owed anyone's time or attention. Like 
just be fucking grateful that the album slapped. Okay, just yeah. be grateful. And if it was only one album in 2014, and you're you welcome. Loved it, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. If you don't like all the other ones afterwards, you're welcome still. Even if you only like a song. Let me yeah, tell you, a great it, song it, is hard to find. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it'll last you a whole fucking lifetime. It'll last you a lifetime. You only That's need right. one. I think Danielle said this in our conversation. She doesn't like like, or maybe she said it in the book about like one hit wonder. She's like, they said right. all they had to say in one song. <laughs> it's like, that's exactly right. And you know what? Yeah. Some songs, it's done. You did it. It's per- It's a perfect song, a perfect track. Like, I, I, I can't, I can't say anything else. Um. Mm-hmm. I really want to talk about disco really quickly because I love disco. Yeah. Uh You love disco, right? Yeah. But I think I, uh, I think I, well, go ahead. No, no, you go. I want to hear what you say. Because, because, I mean, she touches on how like disco was considered um, corny or something Mm -hmm. like that at Mm -hmm. one point. And I think that even rubbed off onto like my perception of it, even Mm -hmm. though I wasn't alive during disco. Me too. Me too. Um, it lasted that impression of it. And then as I got older, like I've come to really appreciate how awesome it is. And I think actually it's like people in general, I've noticed disco has made a comeback, like in clubs, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. people like love ABBA and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and Diana Ross, like every, you know, all, all the disco people. I don't mean to say ABBA is like the disco person, but I just, ABBA is a group that I wouldn't think would be or the Bee Gees mm-hmm. would be like requested by me as a DJ at a club. Mm. Like when I first started DJing, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I, I had a similar thing as like when I was younger, I used to be like, uh, disco sucks. Disco's <laughs> so dumb. Like, uh, boo. Like, you know, do the dance from Saturday Night Fever and be like, exactly. this is so dumb. But mm-hmm. then even in that same time, there were songs that I loved, that I still love, that I've always loved. That were disco. I just didn't know them as disco because I was like, this is a great song. Totally. You know, like you're not going to tell me that Bad Girls is one of the greatest songs of my life. But (laughs) I when I was 10 and I thought disco was corny, I didn't know that was disco. I just thought this was a great throwback song. Like, what did I know about what time frame music came out? I wasn't alive yet. Like, yeah. How was I to know that this didn't come out in 86 versus 74 whatever you know like Mm -hmm. now I know what disco is more and like I love it but like one of my favorite songs is uh Barry White um can't get enough of your love babe oh yeah which is like disco like to me Mm -hmm. that is like all I see is the ball and the lights (laughs) and like and like flowing white clothes yeah exactly just like people grooving you know shake your groove thing that's a disco song but to me that's just like a barbecue outside summer you know old person song that I love and so like but it makes sense also that like of course people hated that shit of course white people (laughs) just fucking couldn't handle black queer brown women having a fucking ball looking (laughs) fabulous wearing the outfits the hair doing the drugs having the Mm. sex just fucking Mm -hmm. being alive Mm -hmm. of course they couldn't handle that these people can't like these people can't even handle strangers potentially having an abortion like it's like you think (laughs) you're gonna be able to you can't even handle people like in the worst (laughs) moments of their lives in some cases doing something that they feel is absolutely necessary. So of course you're not gonna be able to enjoy them fucking getting it and shining having bright. Yes, shining light, <laughs> being in pleasure, dancing, being together, like mixing yeah. of community. Like it's all the things that the people who hate disco, of course we're gonna hate. And mm-hmm. I just, and it makes me love it even more. Yeah. 
And like, I think there's a lot of like sad stuff that happened in that time. And like, I think like Donna Summer having to go overseas to like become Donna Summer to like be loved and seen is like obviously really sad. And I think also like the emergence of AIDS and HIV really changed what disco probably could have been longevity wise because it changed what the social scene was in major cities which of course Mm -hmm. like trickled down and I you know that's probably a whole other book that I would fucking love to read but like disco in disco's moment to me is like the dream yeah yeah like what would you do to just fucking walk into studio 54 just like looking your best feeling your best mm-hmm. on like a hot summer day or just sweaty and gross like in your fucking outfit with your fucking shoes give that to me yes Ah, it's a dream <laughs> we're like so close to being out of time so we have to do like okay we have to do one more topic that i have to talk about and then we have to wrap okay. up we have to talk about the story of janet jackson and scream with Michael Jackson. Oh. Right? Yes. That was so detailed. Michael, how could you? That's your sister. <laughs> that was just straight up competition. So we I promise everyone I would tell the story how we knew each other and we didn't. But we'll quick we'll do it quickly. But my brother Brady, who's my who I say is my best friend, but he told me I am not his best friend, which is so cruel and evil. Oh my so iconic of him honestly i was like brady would do this to me he would mix me bad he would say my people can mix me and then he would mix me bad but over and over and like michael i don't know what happened yeah i don't know what i don't know what happened guys fix it for janet fix it sure dude i don't know i don't know wink yeah (laughs) I, i just and then I have to go back and listen to the song and I haven't listened to it again me since too. I read it. Me too. That's what I meant to do. I meant that's to do it to I totally for, until I'm like, listening. I had to not because the whole book, it took me longer than I expected because every time she mentioned a song, I stopped I reading it and then I, I went know. on this tangent of listening to music. I've already told people this, but Sharda, who's part of the Sax Pack, she has, as she's been reading, she's been creating a Spotify playlist with every song that's mentioned in the book. So I'll send oh, you the cool. link to that, but I'll okay. put it in the show notes also for everyone along with everything else. But, um... That fucking story. Michael, how could you? How could you, Michael? But also, again, Janet kind of sucking it up. Sucking it up. For someone else. Yeah. Like, he needs this. I know. Well, because it's like, you think of siblings as being one thing, but sort of to our point of, like, the perfection and, like, the level of discipline and, like, care it takes to be Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson, Mm -hmm. the sibling part of it sort of becomes less important. Oh, yeah. At least at least it feels like in that story or not, maybe not less important, but as important as some of the other stuff. Yeah. And I mean, that's truly being committed to your craft. Yeah. Like this. This has nothing to do with it, boo. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know you're my sister. He's like, look, but I need this. To look- I need this yeah, win right this. now. Yes. He's like, yes, I need this bad. It's the only good song on this entire disc. I need it. OK, it's a two disc album. The first out al- first disc is great. The second disc. It's basically this. OK, boo. Yeah. And it wasn't just the mixing. It was like even the vocal register that the, yeah. like, the melodies were written in and the whole thing. That really was interesting. I never, but it's also one of those things where I'm like, maybe I kind of felt that at the time. Yeah, because I don't I think of like that as being her that. song. I think of it as being his yeah. song and she's on it. Yeah. And that's yeah. a song I love. Even now when I think about the music video, I feel like she's not even lit as well. 
<laughs> like when they're doing the choreo, I feel like he's really got like a bright light on him and she but I have to go yeah. back and watch it. Let's go back. Have, do you remember they had those little like those little like bouncing vibrating balls? Do you know what I'm talking about? They like had like kind of like I wish I could remember what they were called, but they had like little things that stuck out and they sort of like bounced on the ground and they're in the video. Oh yeah, kind of vaguely. Anyways, when we go back and watch it, you all will see them. They were so weird. Um, Okay, quickly, here's the story of how Novina and I know each other, but I don't even know if I tell it right. You are the same age as my brother. This is a story as my brother told it to me. You and Uh, my brother are the same age and you mm -hmm. all were looking at colleges at the same time and you were like in some college looking thing and my dad and your mom were like outside and they met and started talking and when you and Brady came out they were like oh you guys should know each other and then you guys Mm. like became friends is that true yeah that sounds accurate I don't even know if I knew the part about the parents but I don't think that sounds like it could be true that's what Brady Um, said yeah, we were on this like college tour thing where we were checking out some uh, colleges in L.A. Yeah. And we both it was like a, I think it was like specifically for students of color in mm-hmm. high school. And we both like started at UCLA and then we both were going to USC. I mean, to, to visit it yeah. in the same week or weekend or whatever. Yeah. And we stayed in touch. And, and I was thinking about this the other day, like we stayed in touch during a time where <clears throat> I don't even think. Like, you know, cell phones were not even that much of a thing, maybe a little bit, but you definitely weren't sending photos over text or even email attachments. He would like we would print out photos. I'm like, send me some photos of you like just to have on my like, yeah, you know, board of friends. (laughs) And he like printed out. He just like collected a couple of photos of himself and like mailed them to me. And I still have them. Yeah, that's what he said. You guys just like write letters. It feels so 1945, but it was really 2002. I'm writing you by oil lamp. (laughs) (laughs) I hope the Pony Express delivers. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's how we know each other. It's such a weird roundabout story, but I love it. Um, Yeah. Okay. So we always um, wrap up in the same place pretty much, which is the title and the cover. So do you have any thoughts or feedback or feelings about the title and the cover of this book? (laughs) I like it because it's colorful. Mm -hmm. You -hmm. know, it's pretty literal. It's Mm -hmm. like there's a woman with a mic. There's a record. There's flowers. Give her her Mm -hmm. flowers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of that. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. I love the cover. It brings me so much joy. It has the right feeling for this book of like, Mm -hmm. let's celebrate this thing, even though there's like awful stuff in here. Like, let's have a good time. Let's vibe out. I also love the title. She says it early on. She says, Shine Bright is a mission statement and a command. Yes. And I love that. I thought that with the title, it was going to have more Rihanna in it just because I think like Shine Bright, like Like, a diamond. Diamond, yeah. But I'm assuming that that she was using or saying shine bright perhaps before, but my pop culture reference just put me Mm. in a Rihanna mind. Interesting. But I don't know. Maybe she wasn't. uh, Yeah. It's all connected though, as she would say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You go from, yeah. I think it's a great title. I think it's a great cover. I think it's a great book. Like I just, I'm so happy we did it on the show. I wasn't sure, but I was like, this might be fun. And I, Mm -hmm. it was so much better than I was expecting the book to be. Same here. I have so many bullet points on my piece of paper that we didn't even get to. Like there's just, and so I, I can relate to Danielle there. There's so Mm -hmm. much we couldn't even get to it all, (laughs) but uh, anything else you want to say about the book before we are done, done? Oh, Lord. Um, Yeah, I think uh, the book made me want to read more Danielle's Mm -hmm. uh, just to see how she writes. Mm -hmm. 
the way she describes things, for me, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a writer, but I have to write things occasionally. Mm-hmm. Like, me too. Work. You know, like about artists and stuff. And, and yeah, it was really inspiring in that way, how to take us into, the, and I also really loved how um, she's clearly really, really smart, sophisticated, talented, but, it, and I don't want to say but, but. It, it didn't have to be written in a way where she's like, I'm smart and I'm writing like I'm such this, I'm like this smart mm-hmm. person where mm-hmm. I have to write so you can see that I know like mm-hmm. big words and long sentences. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was like relatable and interesting and you could hear so much of her voice. Yeah. But it was brilliantly written too, yeah. I would say. I agree. I'm like such a huge Danielle stan now that like, She's the goat to me. Like, I just think like what she was able to do with this book. And like, it's you're right. It's so approachable. It's so readable. And she gets her point across without being like, I'm better than you or I'm smarter than you or I know more than you, even though all of those things are true. She's clearly better, smarter and knows more than me, like (laughs) times a million. But yeah. And she felt like a friend, you know, like how does she know? She knows so much to Tracy. Like she knows so much. I know. I know. We need to. She's in L.A. The three of us need to get together so we can just like pick her brain and be like, Danielle, how do you do that? How do you do this? We love you. Tell us everything. Is Show it us the Ginkgo biloba? Like, what do I need to do to retain all of this You should journal or something. Write it all down as it happens. Yeah. Anyway, Something. everyone, <laughs> thank you all for listening. Novena, this was a dream. Thank you so, 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 so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> and hopefully we get to do more fun things together soon. Let's do it. Okay, everyone else, <laughs> we will see you in the stacks. Ciao. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And thank you again to Novena Carmel for being my guest. All right, now it's time for what you've all been waiting for. The Stacks Book Club pick for June is White Negroes, When Cornrows Were in Vogue and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. And we will be discussing the book on Wednesday, June 29th. If you love the show and want inside access to it, please head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Tracy Thomas. 